Hey, it's Lauren. Thank you so much for listening to The Afterlight. Enjoy the episode. This episode has been brought to you by The Afterlight Institute. The Afterlight Institute is a community of teachers and students seeking to expand their spiritual gifts and their inner wisdom on the road to illuminating their forgotten selves. Offering online courses, in-person retreats, live events, online expositions, and more, the Afterlight Institute is a safe and inclusive space for all. To learn more, head to theafterlightinstitute.com. Lauren Grace here and welcome to the show and I'm joined today by Mark Borax. Since the late 1970s, Mark has been collecting adventures and spiritual wisdom as a poet, writer, world traveler, and finally as an astrologer. In 87, he created Soul Level Astrology to free the core nature of human beings and he's since done thousands of private sessions for people around the world. In 2008, Mark and his wife founded the College of Visionaries and Wizards an online school that teaches students to read astrology charts in the deepest, most soulful way. Mark is a dynamic and provocative author, counselor, teacher, public speaker, musician, and songwriter whose humorous, compassionate, and startling insights inspire others to awaken their soul force. In his third book, The Ruby Heart of the Dragon, which contains a radical revision of the 12 sun signs, he will be releasing that this year. Mark is joining me today to talk about all things astrology. We will be talking about spirituality and how could we not talk about the College of Visionaries and Wizards? I mean, my God, I'm feeling like if there's a Harry Potter fan or anyone, you know, of that nature, they're already waiting for that conversation. Mark, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Lawrence. Pleasure to be here. So I will let our listener know that I did get to read the chapter of your new book on Aries because I'm an Aries. So I've definitely been privy to some very cool stories and some information from you on that chapter, which I would like to ask you a little bit about some of those stories in our conversation today. But before we get to that, Mark, I always like to go back before we go forward have you always been on the spiritual path or did you have sort of an aha moment that kind of maybe set you upon it? Well, I think I was probably always on the mystical path, but I'd never thought of it that way. And then I think that, um, that road opened up pretty radically in the, um, in the late 1960s and early 1970s when I took acid. And my early LSD trips just kind of plunged me directly into the live wire of the universe. And, and all of a sudden, everything was way more expanded and incredibly deeper than I had ever thought it could. So I think I, think I really, it was really LSD that accelerated that path. But that was back in the 60s where things were kind of mystical all around anyway. That's so cool. I've got to say you're the first person who's openly admitted anyway that, uh, you know, that a, a drug trip really set them apart the path. But I would say that you're that there are many people that would connect with that story, you know, that, you know, when you're when you're in that state, you're really privy to another dimension and you're not bogged down by all of this human you know, sort of BS that we tend to go through on a regular basis. So, you know, is that a journey that you continued um, maybe, you know, through drug taking or through other things? Or did you kind of like end that experience and go, wait a minute, there's this whole other world that you tapped into without that? Because I guess I'm bringing it up because it's really difficult for sometimes for people to have these experiences from a chemical, you know, substance, and then to be able to actually navigate the spiritual journey without it. I think, I think there was, there was a little bit of drugs and there was a lot of self-discovery. Uh, yeah. I was, I was a restless teenager at 16 years old. I hitchhiked from Connecticut to California um, because I wanted to get in on the tail end of the sixties before it had evaporated from the world. And uh, I did a lot of reading 
Um, my first acid trip was at a traffic concert, the, the band Traffic with Stevie Winwood. And um, and they created all their songs while they were tripping and jamming. And I didn't know that till years later when I met Stevie and got to spend a couple hours talking with him. So, so there were medicine journeys that at key points throughout my life expedited my mystical journey. But it was it was a it was a lot of uh, restlessness, a lot of reading, and uh, a lot of roaming through the world um, that finally led me through a series of events to become an astrologer. Yeah, I do want to talk to you in a little while here about, um, I know that you went through some particularly difficult things in the in the 90s. And that really, I feel like just from reading the chapter on, on the Aries, that it really propelled you into this new sort of way of looking at the world. But before we get to that, I mean, I feel like in a way, it's interesting how with the internet and with, you know, spiritual conversations, mystical conversations, by the way, I'm going to try to incorporate using the word mystical into my life way more. Um, After you've said that, I just went, oh, I just love the sound of that so much. You know, you kind of, it seems to me like talking about these subjects is becoming easier now. I mean, what with podcasts and, and things like that, but at the same time, I feel like you had a sense of freedom back in the 60s that maybe we don't have now. How do you kind of see how things have changed? Do you, you know, what kind of feedback are you getting from the people that you are reading for or working with? Well, I've I've been doing soul level astrology readings for a long time now, since 1987. And I tend to draw people who uh, who are wanting a change of life, who are really wanting to go deep. Uh, my version of astrology, as far as I'm concerned, astrology doesn't mean anything in, unless it gets to the soul. And yeah. and what I look at as the soul is the core nature of a human being. Soul-level astrology is a system that I created to strip away all your conditioned layers and get down to who you really are. And that's what I help people do. And I tend to draw those kind of people who want to go there rather than people who are sort of mildly curious about the zodiac i I just don't seem to draw those kind of people so when you talk about that do you mean that you're sort of stripping away uh, my name is lauren and i'm a canadian and i grew up with these you know like sort of the personalities and i like and dislike this and this is what i do for a career and you know this is who i am to other people is it sort of stripping away you know the conditioned way that we identify or, or look at ourselves. And I guess I'm bringing that up because, um, and my listener at home would know, cause I talk about him all the time, but Eckhart Tolle is one of my, Tolle is like one of my favorite people in the world, even though I haven't met him yet. But you know, when he talks a lot about kind of our identification with self and, and things like that. And, you know, I kind of was thinking about there's a commonality or a likeness to what you were just describing there. Yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of that I did get from my early medicine journeys because mm. there is no self. All of a sudden you're in the universe and you know you're you're breathing with the earth. You know, you're you're with the stars, you're with the earth. And and so my work is designed to um show a person who they are on the inside. And as far as a difference between the 1960s version of self-discovery and cosmic enlightenment compared to now, uh, I think that the revolution got stalled because that much love happening all around the world was was very dangerous to uh, governments and and repressive forces who struck back. Uh, there There was a whole CIA program called Operation Mockingbird where they planted thousands of CIA agents in as TV newscasters, as um, as um, newspaper journalists, magazine journalists, and they were given the same um, they were given the same instructions, which was do anything you can to make the whole 1960s thing look really superficial and blame it all on on too many drugs. Do not let it get out that something vital was happening that could possibly change the future of the human race. This was this and since then it's become fashionable to put down 
the 60s as too much drugs, too much sex. And, and, and I think that what started to happen then was a sense that you're not here to make money only at the expense of your soul. You're not here to make everyone else happy at the expense of your truth. You're here to be the love that you are. And, and that lesson started catching on like wildfire because it was so much more positive than the other reasons we were trained of why we were here. Yeah. And so I kind of never dropped the ball with that one. I, I, I've been doing it ever since. And when someone comes to me, I'm really helping liberate them from thinking they need to conform to some other restricted version of life than the one, the magical, unique version that they that they have inside them. That that's what I focus on. Well, just that <laughs> sounds like a pretty pretty important job. That's for damn sure. I mean, I guess when you're talking, I gotta say it made me feel emotional. You know, as as I evolve in my own mystical, magical, spiritual journey, I start to see, you know, patterns that I have or things that I wish to undo. And and I'm I definitely am very clear on being in the present moment. I don't spend a lot of time ever looking back um, as much as being here in the now. But I just I also see in the people around me, you know, people bogged down by fear, people afraid of speaking their truth, people afraid of following their purpose, even people um, who aren't sure of how to unconditionally love, you know, the, the fact that you're talking about, you know, in the sixties, all this love and all this freedom and liberty, or, you know, I'm saying, you know, these words, but I guess the idea was just that people were who they really truly are. I just don't feel that we have that same opportunity now, um, or that we have to undo a lot of, you know, conditioned programming in order to sort of get to that point. When people come in and see you, are they at a crossroads? Are they aware that there's something else that they're meant to do, but they aren't sure how to get started? Is it you see a variety of people for different reasons? Most people come for the reasons you said, that that yeah. there's this sense that there's something they're here for. They're close to it. They're on the verge of it. They know it's something more, but they don't know what it is and they don't know how to get there. And that that's often when I enter the scene. Mm. So, I mean, it's interesting because when I've always been fascinated by astrology and the moons and things like that, but I'm going to tell you, I have a really difficult time for some reason, remembering, you know, the understanding the moon and you know like lately I'm like okay waxing means it's getting bigger and waning means it's getting smaller you know I'm trying to give myself these tips and tricks to understand this sort of stuff but how do you kind of make it simplified so that people can really learn to tap into that energy you know especially as a woman and I will say that I'm really connected to uh Archaea Haniel and you know she's an angel of um um, mystical and magical and the, she works with the moons and stuff like that so it's like I have this real hunger and this real desire to understand it is it about understanding it or is it about maybe feeling it first you know how do you kind of simplify it for people or can can is that even possible when you're dealing with such an elaborate subject such as astrology the, these are good questions and there's different ways in but certainly the feeling part of it whether it comes first or whether it comes second, the feeling part of it is my expertise. I, I call it star jazz in the sense that the birth chart stays the same all your life, but just like the chart of a song, if you're a jazz musician, you might've played that song chart a thousand times, but each time you play it, you have to act as if it was the first time you ever played it in order to be true to the moment. That's how I work oh. with astrology. Uh, the day that I met my the man who became my teacher, he said, if you want to become an astrologer, you need to remember one thing. Don't ever think that you know what Gemini and all the other signs are. Be willing to find out all over again what the signs are with each new person. And that became my mantra. That's like jazz, what Zen would call beginner's mind. And so for me, the instinct, the jazz, the creativity, um, is more important than the heady intellectual um, academic side of astrology that drives me crazy. I just, uh, yeah. I'm bored to death when I'm around astrology people who just rattle on these, well, because he has 
Mars quincunx the moon in the fourth house and the trine declinate of Aquarius multiplied. It's like already my eyes are bugging because that's not my astrology. It, mine is an astrology of the soul. Yeah. You know, it's like the difference between reading a book about sex and lovemaking. I, who wants to read the damn book when you can yeah. just go do it? Yeah. It's, uh, it's so funny that you're like, it makes sense to me that you would read astrology in that way, especially since we sort of talked about, you know, from the beginning about almost stripping down who a person is. And I remember I had a really interesting experience when I was younger, where I had, anyway, I'll just say I was like kind of out of my body and I went, holy, and I understood that, that we are just these light beings. We are the light and we are a soul that's just living a human experience and I think that, you know, as we're on these mystical journeys, we have experiences where that's really clear, where we know that to be fact. And then we have other experiences when we're bogged down by all the shit we have to do today, you know, for our job. So it's just kind of interesting to be able to marry the the two of them together and doing so in a way that maybe doesn't build resentment. It's interesting. I, I interviewed someone recently on the show and I and we were talking about her new book as well. And she was talking about how maybe heaven is here on earth and we're just not tapped into it enough to, to notice that when we're cutting carrots, we can connect with source. And, you know, when we're out and the wind is blowing in our hair that we're one with all that is. And, you know, I've always had this real desire to go, this is the last time I'm coming back. This is the last time I'm here. It seems to me like a lot of the work that you do um, and not having had a reading myself from you, I, I guess I'm just sort of making an assumption here is a lot about understanding your soul purpose within the human experience. Do you find that after you work with people that, that they become a little bit more accepting of being here on earth and like being able to navigate the journey? Absolutely. The, the main the main thing I give people is a totally different understanding of their most severe challenges and dysfunctions and problems. That's my expertise. It's in turning karma into grace. I have a whole, a whole um, different way of looking at karma, looking at burden, looking at the shadow. Um, I fought for many years with my own darkness. Um, uh, that's what a lot of the medicine journeys were about, you know, Acid just picked me up and threw me into my into my inner hell realms. And and I finally and I came out the other side. So when someone comes to me, I'm not trying to get them to evolve beyond the human state. I'm trying to get them to incarnate into the into their soul, into their love, into their light, into their magic through wrestling with the darkness not as a spiritual bypass but going deep down and in right so in what how important do you think the present moment is like if you're going to wrestle and go into the shadow self and and go through fear and all those emotions that you know many of us myself included would prefer to avoid do you have to go back in order to go forward? Can you sort of deal with everything in the present? Like, are you a big person who focuses on maybe causation? Like that happened and then that triggered that and that triggered that? It's it's about excavating the layers inside you. Most people settle for a reduced version of life and think that that's all there is. And yeah. it's a fear-based way to live. Yeah. Underneath that is several, several layers. When you go down, when you know, there when you go down into the soul, it's like it's like you've been married to somebody for 30 years and you didn't even know who they were, except it's yourself. Now all of a sudden, you're starting to see, oh, that's me, and that's me too. God, I didn't even know I was feeling that way. I didn't even know I had that in me. You mean I can actually have telepathic conversations with people on the other side of the planet? I can actually have telepathic conversations with animals, with plants, with the dead, with my ancestors? And, 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 and even things like sexuality 
people think they know what it is and it's fine. And I'll say to my clients, how's your sex life? Great, wonderful. They're, they're at about 15%. And so when you go down and in, it's not like you have to retrace your steps into the past. It's that the past time isn't as binding as it seems to be. We're trained to think of time as this mechanical march from the past to the present to the future, as if the clock was real, as if the calendar and the clock are real. And so when you unbind time, it's not like you have to go backwards to solve these mysteries of, of where you started. It's that they still exist in you. You're still who you used to be. The things that you were got involved with in past lives, you're still involved with. The past doesn't just stay in the past. And the future isn't just off somewhere in the clouds. So when you open things up a bit, it's in the, the cosmic now moment holds a lot of past, what we think of as the past and a lot of future. Right. I feel like I need to be on acid to fully understand that. Honestly, it's really <laughs> difficult sometimes to know that time is a construct. I mean, I've talked to people on the show before about parallel universes and like our, you know, multiple versions of ourselves living within the same time. But, you know, sometimes it's really difficult at the same time to understand you know, because our logical brain wants to go, wait a minute, there's holes in this story. How does that even make sense? But what I'm understanding from you is that you're kind of saying that the soul is an infinite, um, I don't want to say thing, I just can't think of another word, but it's in the soul is infinite. And so therefore, when we try to narrow things down by putting timestamps on things, what we're doing is we're almost we're stopping the flow of life from happening because we're saying, well, that happened then it can't be now. And we're almost like compartmentalizing our life into little chunks, as opposed to knowing that it's just part of something bigger that's ever flowing. That's right. Like that's right. Like, and uh, like an internal go, moment. Go, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when you were speaking as well, it was making me think about how, you know, in a way, maybe by you helping people with these readings, you're almost giving them the courage to be who they truly are. Whereas we are so conditioned to live within the constructs of, you know, maybe the family system we grew up in or or the part of the world that we grew up in or the people we spend time with. And, you know, like even me on my own journey at the moment, I was telling you before I hit record that it turns out that I, um, that I can speak. Yes. Like kind of like you're talking about telepathically. Well, it's like, turns out I'm a medium and I'm a seer and, and I, I kind of always maybe had an inkling, but I never really knew. And I've been really scared to talk about that in uh, my business and to talk about that with other people. But at the same time, I know it's part of my calling. So how do you kind of encourage people to step through the fear to be who they truly are or do you find that after you read for them and you validate a lot of stuff that would make their soul sing that they would just know within themselves is true is that all that the courage that they need to to move forward or are there other things that kind of have to happen for them to really realize all the things you've maybe shared with them it's a process and, and it, for each person it's different uh, some people have been coming to me for 30 years for readings and some people have gotten 30 or 40 readings from me. And, and some people are more locked into um, an artificial existence, a conditioned state, false okay. security, fear, a marriage that isn't at all working that they're afraid to leave. Um, and other people are just, you know, their mind is blown open. They just came back from an ayahuasca journey for six days in Peru. And now they're talking to me and they've been tenderized, you know, there, it doesn't take much to reach them. So it's always, it's always different, but, but you're correct in, in, um, in intuiting that I'm giving people a hundred percent permission to be who they are. And I'm also painting an impressionistic portrait with words as to how I see them. And if what I'm, if the portrait I'm painting with words resonates inside them, they're already starting to vibrate, you know, they're starting to cry. There's, I'm, I'm speaking words to them that are going right through the analytical conceptual mind in, into the heart, into the body, into the soul. 
And it's already starting to resonate because, because on some deep inner level, um, that's who they know they are, even if it's my words that they haven't heard before. And when I'm on target with that, I am this external source that's giving them energy and information that's jibing with their internal source. So their ego is kind of helplessly sandwiched between the two. You know, their ego doesn't have much of a chance if I'm saying the same thing their inner nature is saying. Yeah. Well, you know what the thing is, Mark, you would know this already about yourself, I'm sure, but you're giving people space. Like even in my conversation with you, I've just met you, but I, I feel so f like, I feel, I feel really inspired. I got to say, but uh, I feel like you, you're giving space for even me to just reflect on things that I maybe haven't thought about in a while. Or even I, I had a vision of myself there while we were, while you were saying that, um, you know, stepping into my power, almost like I, it was like a vision of myself in my sixties. And like, it was really crazy. I was almost like a medicine woman. <laughs> I it was really interesting that that just happened right then. But it seems to me like Beautiful. you're giving space for people to be who they are. And um, yeah, that's, I don't know. Have you always been that way? People always come to you for advice or was this something that you sort of grew into? I've always been that way, but in my seven-year apprenticeship with a master astrologer in California, I I was trained on how to to get more like that. And in my own creation of soul level astrology and all the years I've spent teaching, um, I've developed it more. So it's my natural self. People, strangers used to come up to me and still do a lot and open up to me. Kids come up to me. Animals come up to me. And uh, so I've taken those natural traits and develop them over you know over many decades yeah i want to talk to you about free will when you were talking earlier about you know when you're saying that you know some astrologers will look at and go oh, you're a gemini and then a lot of the terms that you use that i can't replicate here in this example but you know you're kind of basically saying that i can see everything that you are you know and i'm reading it when you were giving that example, I was led to believe that you're really looking at the person as who they are right now in this moment. So I guess my question to you is around the subject of free will. Um, I, I kind of mentioned to you before I hit record that I don't normally seek outside counsel. Like I'm a big fan of like reading and, and finding my own way and my own truth and stuff and doing things in the time that I want to. And I, I think part of that, honestly, is because I sometimes worry about someone saying something to me that I'm not prepared to hear, or I'm not, you know, I'm not sure if it's going to be real or not, you know, and, and I don't like that. And I guess my question to you is, do you sort of see somebody in the present and then like help them to find their purpose and, and identify who they are, but then do they still have the free will in which to, to affect things in the future? Like, do you look at their chart and go, I can see that, you know, in this time period, you may have difficulty. I hope I'm asking this question in a way that that's resonating with you, that I've made sense on. Yeah. On that. Yeah, it does. It makes a lot of sense. And it's a, it's a weighty and complex matter. Uh, yeah. First of all, my soul level astrology is light on prediction. Um, it's heavy on, um, on, uh, self-actualization I, I i'm much more here to encourage and inspire you to be true to yourself than i am to say that certain things are going to happen at certain months and years there is an element in astrology of predictive work but i'm very light on that that's not that's not my expertise that's not my joy uh, i don't want to take away your free will i don't want to i, I don't want to program I don't program my kid's life, my children's life. I don't have my children's birth charts memorized. You know, most astrologers would like blow a gasket if they heard me admit something like that. Astrology isn't the be all and end all of my existence. But what it is, is a system of thought based on the number 12. Um, and just like music is based on an octave, Western music, 
Um, you could look at the signs as different keys, like the key of G or the key of B minor. You could look at the signs as 12 different colors on the palette. It's, it's, it's a way to train your thoughts to go in a certain artistic direction. So when you blend things together, um, you have a deeper and more profound understanding of who the person is. And so uh, the last thing I would ever want to do is take your free will away. Uh, yeah. I work a lot with past lives. And I always say to the person, what I'm picking up about your past life is this and this. If that's accurate and that really happened, therefore this, this, and this. I'm not saying, I'm not just accepting that what I'm seeing is is true. Right. Um, usually I wait for three independent verifications of past lives. For, when I used to, when I first started doing readings in the 1980s in California, a lot of my, my readings went psychedelic. I was seeing colors. I was seeing their face change. They were seeing my face change. Three different clients who lived in different um, places saw the same past life of mine while I was seeing each of their past lives. At that point, I said, it's a real past life. Three okay. people who had nothing to do with each other saying, seeing the same thing. So I'm, I, I'm much more on an open inquiry than I'm going to be the big expert who's going to tell you how to live and what's going to happen. That's, that's not my stick. How did you learn to trust yourself? Because, you know, especially as I'm learning about mediumship and, um, you know, my clairvoyance is developing and, and all that, you know, I've really been tested at times to trust myself. And I think that's something that I'm, well, I can tell you, I don't think it is. I'm working on that, honestly. Uh, so I guess my question to you is, how did you kind of learn to trust what you're getting? Do you, did you say something to someone and you could see it resonate within their face? They like lit up and all of a sudden you just knew, okay, I hit that was truth or, you know, when you're wanting to get these different validations, for example, of a past life, I mean, in your example there, that would have happened over time. You would have had three different experiences in order for you to validate that that was true. But when you're doing a reading with someone, you have the hour basically to understand whether or not you're onto something or is part of the trick also not judging yourself in the moment and being a channel for guidance. It, it's, it's all of that. First of all, um, here, you know, I, I started, started studying astrology in 1984. So it's almost 40 years ago. I've been doing it for my profession since 1987. I'm 68 years old. I still doubt myself. And I think that's healthy. Yeah, I think, okay. you know, even if you're like me and you've done thousands of readings all, you know, around the world, for people in all walks of life, that you should never eliminate self-doubt. You should never get um, you should never get too smug with your abilities. Rudolf Steiner had a great quote about that. He said, um, if you wish to develop your psychic abilities, for every step you take in that direction, you should take three steps toward becoming a better human being. That's beautiful. And that became my mantra. And so, so it, you know, in, in the field of astrology and psychic readings, um, there's a lot of bullshit and yeah. there's a lot of superficiality. There's a lot of people who may not be lying to everyone else, but lying to themselves. And so it's, it's, it's always a good idea to have a healthy amount of skepticism to, to, you know, I don't, I don't, um, I don't give myself a hundred percent permission to totally trust everything I'm saying. I speak, I speak cautiously often. I, I, you know, and at the same time, it's also true that I do give myself freedom to trust what I feel and speak on that. And, and so it's, it's a blend. It, it's not just one or the other. It's a, it's a blend and that's the art, you yeah. know, how much you free yourself to say what you see and how much you check yourself and question yourself is it, that's how you gain mastery. It's, yeah. it's wrestling 
wrestling with the muse, not just getting carried away by the muse, right? Yeah, yeah. I love that. I know that, you know, when I do readings for people and I'm, this is something I'm just getting started doing, I've only done around 40, but I always say to them, run everything through your own filter and make sure it sits and resonates with you. And you know, what's really interesting when you were talking there, I thought of a story. I was doing a reading for someone and I said, oh, I can see, you know, um, when you're learning to drive and I'm like painting the picture of the car and I'm like, and the car, it's like, it's dark purple. And I, I just knew it's dark purple. I could see the shape. She goes, no, it's dark blue. And I went, oh, okay. But you know, within myself, I thought, oh no, nailing that. I can totally see it. So it's just an interesting example of saying that, yeah, sometimes we can be so sure. And especially, you know, I just went, it was so clear in what I was saying, seeing, but it wasn't what was fact at the same time, which, um, you know, it's good. It does make me think about how it, it can help you to maintain that humility and that even that connection on a human level, because, you know, we're just channeling information from the divine. It's not like it's coming from our own, you know, like we're like these superhumans or anything like that. We're just working at, at being a channel for that truth to come through. Um, Mark, I That's wanted right. to talk to you about, um, so, you know, this is kind of a segue a little bit about whether or not, you know, through astrology, you can kind of forecast. And I know you you did say that you you hesitate to do that, which I appreciate because I do believe as well that with everyone having free will and soul contracts and our divine blueprint and all that kind of stuff, whatever we want to say, all those words, um, that it would be really difficult to be able to completely forecast things, especially when there are many moving parts. But I know that in 98, you went through a really, really difficult time, which may have crippled many people. And um, I was just wondering whether or not you'd be willing to talk a little bit about about that or, or whether or not you had any um, inkling that, that these things were going to happen. And, and on the same note, like I, I feel that emotion still connected with that, with that, that would have been really difficult. So would you mind speaking on that yeah. a little bit, Mark? Sure. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, I went through a two year period where my mother died, my father died, my grandmother died, my uncle died. Uh, I had a health crisis with blood pouring out of both ends of me. My girlfriend left me. Um, we had been very much in love for and, and lived together for a couple of years. It was a total shock. And um, and I thought of that Zen parable where there's a, a hermit who lives in a cave with a robe and a bowl and sandals. And one day uh, the hermit is bathing in the river and sees a thief making off with the robe and the sandals. And so he picks up the bowl and says, here, you forgot this. And I thought of that and I realized now that everything has been taken away from me, instead of grasping to get any of it back, I'm going to give away even more. And so I got rid of my possessions and, um, and I let go of my career and I inherited a little bit of money that I used to buy a brand new Harley Davidson. And I rode from Seattle to Boston and I shipped the motorcycle to England. I had my mother's ashes in my saddlebag because she'd always wanted to go to Europe where her parents had come from, but she'd never made it. And um, and I, I, in, I rode to the monastery of St. Francis on her birthday September 30th, up in the mountains of Tuscany, and I released her ashes, um, and the wind came, and they sparkled and glittered, mm -hmm. and um, and I knew that my life would come back in of its own accord. I, I was using my motorcycle like a dowsing rod. If I felt like turning right, there was no reason not to turn right. I had no girlfriend. I had no job. I had no family. I had no friends. I had no schedule. I had no clock. I was totally free. And I wanted whatever life that was going to come of that to come organically, to come from the soul, to come like water from under the ground rather than from uh, from my ego. Sounds to me like that was a really big test in surrendering. It was. It was. I surrendered. Uh, I, I just I just followed the wind. I, I just followed my Harley, ended up spending a year in Italy um, and then another year on the road 
before my life started to really reformulate. And, and out of that, I became a father for the first time. And that set um, kind of the current chapter of my life in development, um, which is now I own a home, I have a wife, I have two kids. Um, and all that came out of that earlier period, out of, out of the deaths came some births finally. Why do you think some people are able to surrender and see, you know, maybe the gifts within that or, or the opportunity and other people don't? And I guess at the same token, you know, I'm thinking of Eckhart Tolle's quote, which is basically about how when we resist what's happening, that's when we suffer. Do you think that's a big part of it? Do you think that you just knew yourself enough to be able to let go and follow your own guidance? Yeah, at that point, um, I knew I needed a drastic change, and um, and uh, I, you know, for twenty five years, I told myself if I ever had a bunch of money, I was going to buy a Harley, and I never had the money, and then I did, and so I I bought it, and I just went for it, and um, and I think it has to do, you know, it has to do with a lot of things. Um, if you're raised by uh, parents or guardians who teach you to trust yourself, you know, yeah. rather than raised to fit in and be like everyone else. Um, um, my parents were pretty accepting um, of who I was and they didn't give me a lot of programming, um, you know, and I was a restless I was just a restless spirit, but, you know, I, I kind of went through adolescence that the same years the whole world did in the 1960s, you know, that's when I was an adolescent. And so I kind of got that benefit, you know, the yeah. whole world was, was saying, um, screw you, we're gonna, you know, we're not going to go fight in Vietnam, we're gonna, we're gonna go to Woodstock. And so right then I was kind of a ripe age to get the message and I put my thumb up and hit the road, you know, went to California and um, I never stopped. You know, I set in motion a kind of freedom energy that um, that I'm still surfing, um, even though I also have the things that I'm wrestling with. I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm I'm not just only free, you know, yeah. I, I, I struggle with the darkness and um, you know, have marriage issues and parenting issues. And, um, but I think there comes a time in many people's lives where they, they really have to ask themselves, why am I here? Am I here to keep everyone else happy? Yeah. Am I here to follow my soul? You know, and that's, that's the moment. That's the, that's the turning point. What place does surrender have in your life now? I'm working on it, Lauren. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still working on it. I learned a little I, while ago, I, another I, um, word for surrender is relax. Because I read the surrender experiment <laughs> twice, which I love that book. And I was always like, well, especially someone like me who's bossy and I like to control things. It's difficult <laughs> for me to sometimes surrender and allow to let, let go and allow God, you know. And um, when I heard that, that you could use relax and as a synonym of surrender. I thought, Oh, that's a little bit more, you know, palatable. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, how do you work on it consciously? Do, do you kind of find yourself in the, in the grip of, you know, maybe like wanting to control or, or, or wanting to, to change the situation or the outcome. And then you can kind of like set yourself back and go, and I'm going to surrender or relax. I work on it. I work on it a lot. And, and there are, there are patterns and situations where uh, where I tend to clamp down hard and control and um, and either have to learn the hard way or the easy way not to. You yeah. know? either either life forces me open and and I have no more choice and I have to let go or I can work work on it you know inwardly so that it doesn't get to that point. 
I'm glad that you brought that up because I do sometimes think, why is it that some people have to go through all these things and other people don't? And <clears throat> I personally feel like I've been in a winter of my life for the last, you know, four to five months. I just feel like I have been processing a lot of things. Um, maybe part of that's also exploring this new journey that I'm on. Um, but I feel like I'm on coming out of the other end. And I think a big part of that is because I've been able to relax within some stuff, or at least understand that sometimes life is cyclical. Uh, but when you're talking about that there, you know, you kind of are giving a really good reminder to me and, and to our listener at home that, you know, sometimes we do need to go with the flow because life has a way of making us stop if we aren't going to do it voluntarily. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's how the soul works. I think that your inner nature, what I call the soul, I look at that as a part of you that has been here before in other lifetimes. So your soul is ancient, but your body is new. In each life, there's something old and something new. And what you have to find out is the dance between the two. I look at your soul as the part of you that knows exactly why you're here and who you are and how to get where you're going. Mm -hmm. But because you're human, you're not constantly in touch with that part of yourself. At best, you're intermittently in touch with that part of yourself. And then you get involved in all kinds of messy stuff because that's, that's the human way. Yeah. And, and when you're going along the track of the soul I feel that you're in touch with the universe and the universe is trying to make way for you to go that way because it's the path of least resistance. But when you're off the track of your inner nature and your soul purpose, I feel that the universe is putting up barricades. You know, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to marry this man. And the universe says, yeah, right. And, you know, you, you keep going that way and things keep happening to say, I, I don't know about this. And yeah. sooner or later, you you may wake up and just not marry that guy, you know? It's interesting because I I love listening to Abraham Hicks's work, and they talk a lot about the emotions being your guide. And I don't feel like I really understood that until, you know, maybe even six months ago where I went, oh, wait a minute. So if I'm feeling anxiety, it's not necessarily because I've had two cups of coffee it could be also because i've said yes to a client or an opportunity that isn't actually going to serve me how do you navigate what is for your soul do you listen to your emotions do you start to notice that things around your life are flowing or not yeah it's it's developing instinct and intuition um yeah. having people around me whose, um, whose opinions I value, uh, my wife, um, you know, having, uh, having spent a lot of my life, um, trusting myself and seeing where that goes, you know, back in the 1980s, um, I was in my thirties and, uh, so many relationships had fallen apart. So many jobs had fallen apart. Um, you know, I'd lived in so many states, so many houses, and I got this wacky idea after um, after studying an astrology book for four years. I thought, huh, I wonder if I could do this thing for a living. And at that point, it was just kind of a wacky idea. And then this guy comes along who's this master astrologer who I get a reading from um, just at the right time. Later, he became my teacher. and And so... Uh, and the thing is that both he and I started life in Queens, New York, then moved to Northern Vermont, then moved to Willamette Valley, Oregon, then moved to Bay Area, California, then wow. moved to Santa Cruz in that order. I, wow. I was on his trail and and he is um, seven years older than me. And, and I was about seven years behind him in most of those moves before we caught up to each other. Oh so my. when you start, you know, when you start seeing synchronicities, it was synchronicities that kind of first clued me in to a grand design that that things in the universe are operating in some sort of order and pattern 
that I didn't have a name for, but started to sense. Um, I, I remember the first the first big one of those was was when I was a junior in high school in Connecticut, and I was uh, I was seeing a woman who was a, in college in Boston. And I was skipping school so much that I was getting in trouble with my teachers, my principal and my parents. But she called one day to say there was going to be a Johnny Winter concert in a couple of weeks. Um, and, and she'd gotten tickets and she had one for me. Could I go see her? I said, I can't do it. I'm getting into too much trouble. I would love to go, but I'm going to have to pass. Then when the day of the concert came, I said, ah, shit, I can't stay here. And I, and I, I, I went down to the art room in my high school and I made a sign that said Boston. I got up on Route 95. I put up the sign. I got a ride, took me a few exits, let me off. Another ride took me a few exits. And then I got into a car with three people. I said, where are you going? They said, Boston. Um, we're going to a concert. I said, which one? And they said, only the greatest guitarist on earth, Johnny Winter. And I said, you wouldn't have an extra ticket. The show's sold out. They said, I don't know, but his girlfriend um, has the tickets in Boston. Maybe she has an extra one. We'll, you could talk to her when we get there. Two hours later, we get to Boston and I, I meet this woman and I say, you wouldn't have an extra ticket, please, please. She said, as a matter of fact, I do because my friend's boyfriend decided not to go and I have his ticket. It was my own ticket. I ended up with my own ticket. Now, what are the odds on oh Route 95? A thousand cars go by every hour. What are the odds that I would get in that particular car and end up with my own ticket? I started to think something's going on in this universe besides what they're telling me about. Holy shit. You know what I say when that happens? I go, thank you. Thank you. More, please. <laughs> totally. And that, and that was the cool. first. Um, yeah. And and that, that kind of thing happened many other times in my life, even, even more extraordinary than that one. And when those things happen, you know, it, it increased my faith in things like astrology that there's a pattern that you can learn to read. You might be able to help people avoid um, getting caught in lesser channels and stick with the main flow. Do you feel that there are themes for life purpose that you see reoccurring or does everyone sort of have a different mission? And I know that's difficult when you've read thousands of people. So I'm sure there are going to be themes, but... Yeah. In general, do you see there's like three main themes that we're all sort of here to, to experience or to understand? Yeah. If you go down deep enough, if you go down deep enough, it's always the same. You're here for reasons of love. You're yeah. here to express the creativity it, 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 it packed inside you. There are many different ways of doing that. So the what of soul level purpose isn't that hard to figure it's the how where i really can be helpful to people because you're here to be the love you are that's why you're here yeah. you're not here for any other reason than love there's not going to be a better reason it's just well then how then how it how can you best follow the love be the love you are follow your truth express your creativity and what would be one of the ways that people could do that it's always different. It may be by quitting your um, your job as a stockbroker and you know making clay pipes and following the Grateful Dead around. And you know I have plenty of friends who followed the dead around for decades, selling their merchandise in the parking lot and were really happy and raised families that way. And and you know it might be quitting your job making clay pipes and following the dead around and going to be a stockbroker. You know, it's like, it all depends. Uh, it all depends on who you are and, um, you know, where, where life is drawing you, what's, what's really pulling on you rather than what you settle for. Yeah. And I guess, you know, a good indication of whether or not you're on track is if you feel good, if life is flowing for you, if synchronicities or, you know, quote unquote coincidences are happening, those would be some good yeah. indicators that you're on the right journey. Whereas if you're feeling anxiety and stress and, you know, down, that may be an indication that, that something has to change. That's right. And, and a lot of people have been going through that in recent years. A lot of people are getting really fed up with, um, 
with jobs and lives and marriages that don't feed them, but drain them. Okay, Mark. So I know that you have also been working on your third book, The Ruby Heart of the Dragon. Can you tell me a little bit about what's inspired you to write a third book and how's that going? Yeah, it's, it's, I'm coming finally to the finish line. I've been writing seven days a week for four years and I'm almost done. The book's probably going to be out in May of next year. And the Ruby Heart of the Dragon, the, the subtitle is um, Sun Signs for Our Times. I'm redoing the Zodiac. Took me a long time to get the courage for this, but I've torn down the 12 signs of the Zodiac and thrown out their cliches, and I'm building them back up from the soul. And it's kicking my ass as a writer and as an astrologer. And, um, and that's what I love because it's... Each day at the typewriter, I have to push myself to, did I, well, did I get it? Well, sort of, almost. That Aries chapter that you read has transformed yeah. a, a bit since you got it, probably, because I'm still working on it. You'll you'll have to read the final version when, you know, when the book's yes, ready. Yes, I will. Um, so pretty excited. Um, and, and, um, and I'm using, I'm using the Zodiac to, um, to turn people on to the, like each sign is this is this mystical country with its own boundaries and its own dangers and and um so uh it's it's really a creative artistic groping a journey i've been on for 4 years and i'm uh, i'm coming to the close of it so i'm pretty excited about that what i liked about the chapter as well is it it wasn't like Aries is like blah 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 it was kind of given to you in in the way that stories are used you know you you shared a lot of experiences from your own life and it's kind of almost complicated conversations given to people in a way that they can digest because the way like the power of story is so amazing how it can just resonate with someone and you can remember a story I actually bet that if I learned the moon cycles in a story method that I would understand it in a different way versus trying to kind of understand the different phases, you know, by their, their proper name. And I thought that was a really cool way of you presenting the, um, well, the Aries chapter that I read through, you know, those experiences. So when you're going and you're working on your book, do you have allocated work booking time or do you kind of wake up and go, I'm inspired, boom, I'm in there and I'm writing a chapter now. I do it first thing every morning before checking my email or doing anything else. Uh, you know, I might, I might get up and do yoga. I might eat or make a cup of coffee, but before I do anything, I want my mind clear um, and give it as much time as I can on that particular morning. Sometimes I also have the luxury to keep coming back to it throughout the day or the evening, depending on, you know, what else, whether responsibilities I have that day. I will say that we are um, at the end of our time together. I probably have about 15,000 questions that I didn't ask you. I do want to end off on, you know, asking you a little bit about the College of Visionaries and Wizards, because number one, I just think it's like the coolest title in the entire world. Tell me a little <laughs> bit about that. Do people learn to speak to the dead or people across the world telepathically, as we sort of alluded to earlier, or... You know, are they making spells? You know, how does it actually work? And is it as fantastical and mystical as as I think it might be? It is fantastical and mystical. I, the main thing is I have a three-year program where I teach people how to read birth charts on a soul level, like I do. We, we, we work with six semesters over three years, and we meet once a week online. Um, and, uh, and they're also invited once a year to come be with us in our home for a long weekend, me and my wife, my wife also teaches other classes at the school. And so do some of our graduate students. So there are other classes that people teach besides the three-year course. Actually, we've just started a three-year course. So if any of your listeners are interested in finding out about that, um, they can find me. Are you going to put up my email? Or yeah, my, I'll put my, a link um, to everything website. in the show notes. Yeah. 100%. Okay. Great. Um, and and I still do readings. Um, people can find out about that on my website. Um, college is going strong, and uh, um, I'm happy to meet with any of your uh, listeners. 
Wonderful. Is there anything I didn't ask you, Mark, that you feel called to speak on? I know it was a conversation and I had all these questions written down about astrology and sun signs. And, you know, I loved the, the part where you were talking about how like each sign inherits a gift from the previous one and we didn't get to it. So what we're going to have to do is just have another conversation when the book is actually out. I think that would probably be good if you're up for it, but is there anything that you wanted to kind of say to the listener at home to, to kind of end off, you know, what, what's been a beautiful conversation? Yeah, sure. Um, Underneath all of your questions, your doubts, your dysfunctions and your problems is a radiant light, an inner sun, a a glowing source of creativity. That's why you're here. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, my friend. I will put a link to everything in the show notes. And it's just been a fabulous conversation. So I look forward to uh, speaking with you again next year, hopefully. Me too. Me too, Lawrence. Great to meet you. I'm glad that the Aries chapter worked for you. And uh, I look forward to our next contact. Hi, thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a review where you listen to your podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you. New episodes every Thursday.